Welcome to this episode of the Middle Market Growth Conversations podcast. I'm Katie Mulligan, Editor-in-Chief of ACG's magazine, Middle Market Growth. My guest on today's episode is Adriana Chorney, a partner with Persistence Capital Partners, the only private equity fund in Canada focused exclusively on opportunities in Canadian healthcare. I sat down with Adriana during the Toronto ACG Capital Connection to ask her about the role for healthcare investors in a market with a public payer, the types of businesses that Persistence looks for, and the increase in U.S. private equity investors entering the Canadian healthcare market. Adriana, thanks for joining me. No problem. Thanks for having me. Sure. So to start, how are you investing in healthcare in Canada when you have a public healthcare system here? That's probably the question I get asked the most. Um, while we do have a public healthcare system, um, and that covers about 70% of the market, there is actually 30% of the healthcare spend that is private pay. Hmm. Um, and, and there's different payers within that system. Um, and it's also the, the fastest growing se- segment of the healthcare market in, in Canada. While you know the public pay system continues to grow um, a few percent per year in terms of growth, the private pay sector is growing at a much faster rate. And that's happening for a bunch of different reasons. The largest being that our public payer um, has less money um, and healthcare continues to get more expensive and it's outpacing GDP. Um, And so more of that pressure is getting pushed down to other payers, whether it's the individuals themselves, the employer markets or other insurance type spends. So we really look at the market, that 30%, which we've estimated is about $85 billion um, of annual spend in Canada, kind of in three different payer markets. We've got um, the employers. Our employers are picking up all of our health spending accounts and our health benefit plans, so our dental, our eyeglasses, um, and all those traditional costs, but also a lot of preventative and wellness is being picked up now by our employers. Um, generally, we find that when most things are getting um, excluded from the public sector, um, we as Canadians feel a right, have a right to have someone pay for it, and a lot of that burden ends up falling on employers. Hmm. Um, so we so we focus on a lot of different services in the employer uh, market. One of the examples of one of our companies um, would be one we just recently exited, um, Medicis, which was an executive hmm. health company um, that we just actually recently sold to Telehealth. And then we also look at the uh, pharma services market, um, which obviously is a third-party payer in the system. The third area that we look at um, is really just the private pay market, um, so ancillary services that the individual patients that will, um, will, be pay, will pay on their own. A good example of that right now is the fertility space um, hmm. is getting a lot of attention right oh, now. Um, the dermatology space, um, which has a component of public pay but also private pay component to it um, and other similar services. Um, so while, yes, we have a public pay system uh, or a public payer in our market, we spend most of our time in that other area. We do, on occasion, um, look at some businesses um, that are government pay, very just more strategically, because with the government, you can wake up tomorrow and reimbursement rates can change overnight. And when you only have one payer, um, that's something that's really difficult to overcome. Um, and so we very strategically um, will look at that. Um, one of the, an example of that is LMC which is our diabetes clinics. These are, this is the, I think North America's, maybe even the world's largest group of um, diabetes and endocrinology clinics. Hmm. Um, the way I describe it as kind of one-stop shopping for diabetes care. I mean, traditionally the diabetes patients, the, the services that are getting are very fragmented. You'll go to a GP or a specialist, and then if you need to see an optometrist or an ophthalmologist or a podiatrist, you'll get those referrals. And then eventually, you know, the doctor has to send the referral. You have to wait for that appointment and you go to that appointment 
agreement, if, if the referral ever happens, um, the coordination of care isn't necessarily in information sent back to your GP. And so the care that the patients are getting um, is very uncoordinated and not necessarily fulsome as to what they are doing. Um, with our LMC clinics, what we've been able to do is create care around the patient themselves. So they'll come into the clinic, they'll see their endocrinologist. The endocrinologist says, well, you need to work on, you need to meet with our dietitian, you need to see the podiatrist, and you need to get your eye examined. Mm-hmm. And what can happen is our, then, our team can create that program for them the next time they come into the clinic. So they'll see all those specialists. Those specialists will then provide the information back to the GP, and they can have coordinated care in a way that nobody else can do in the marketplace. Mm-hmm. We also have, because of the scale we have, we're able to access funding for different education programs and prevention programs uh, within the diabetes space. Mm-hmm. So that's an area that is mostly public pay, um, but given the enormity of the diabetes problem in the industry, it's an area that we focused on as well. Hmm. I know in the States, a lot of the specialty services right now are relatively fragmented. So a private equity strategy has been to roll up the, in the dermatology space, for instance, or radiology. Is that similar here in Canada and, and for you guys? Yeah, absolutely. So fragmentation and, and roll-ups are a great strategy for all private equity funds. We all mm-hmm. love it. Um, the, where it happens is a little bit different in the Canadian marketplace. You mentioned radiology. Um, that isn't an area you see it here because radiology is actually something that's paid for by the public payer, but it's actually different in each province. For example, huh. in Quebec, you can pay for a private MRI. So if you need an MRI, you can wait for it in the public system, or you as a private payer can go and pay for an MRI. In Ontario, you cannot do that. The only way to mm-hmm. get an MRI in Ontario is to wait in the public system. The healthcare is dictated by the Canadian Healthcare Act, which is effectively essential healthcare is covered for all Canadians. The definition of essential is different within each province. So why in so in Quebec, MRI is not deemed to be essential and therefore it's not quote unquote illegal to pay for it. In Ontario, that definition is different. Um, so it's, it's tricky and you need to know what is covered and what's not covered within each province. Um, and so in an area like that, it, one, you don't create the same amount of scale if you try to do that across provinces. Um, so it's not an area plus the public payer risk is there. Um, but we love I mean, the dental space as a space that us Canadians are catching up on it. There's, a, there's been a lot of consolidation of that market in the U.S. and it's really just starting in the Canadian um, space. Uh, we have a pharmacy roll-up um, that we're doing right now and so it, it's a space that we'll continue to be looking at. And knowing that each province is different, have you focused on particular regions or do you invest across Canada? We invest across Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, what we tend to find is we find great regional companies that have created a niche um, or some area of opportunity within the healthcare space, whether it's something that's been recently delisted or is one of those payer markets, but they don't know how to scale outside of a province because the markets are different for everything. Even mm-hmm. um, insure, automobile insurance, um, accident benefit coverage is different for every single province. And so a company may have that as a payer, but when as soon as you step out of Ontario, it's different in BC and different in Alberta. Mm-hmm. And that's where we spend a lot of time with our entrepreneurs to actually partner with them and help them grow because we've scaled and created companies that are national companies, which makes us a great partner for a lot of these entrepreneurs because we do understand how to operate in all the provinces. And it sounds like those nuances would be difficult to grasp even as a Canadian-based firm. Are you seeing U.S. private equity firms come into Canada to make healthcare investments or are there kind of too many hurdles and knowledge gaps to, to really do that effectively. Yeah, it's interesting. We've seen more U.S. private equity in the last couple of years come up. And I think that's 
more around the fact that we're getting more scale from these companies. And so so we have this, these private pay companies and delisted services, um, which make a good private equity investment. But up until now, there really hasn't been much of significant scale. Hmm. Um, so while as, as these companies are growing and creating scale, um, the U.S. private equity funds have been coming in. Um, you know, Audix came in and acquired a company called LifeMark, which was um, part of Centric Health, which is a publicly held company um, that focuses on the rehabilitation space, which is, you know, very fragmented space, very similar to the U.S. in terms of uh, a roll-up play there. And it was Sentinel came in and bought Ultima, a, a dental roll-up mm-hmm. um, that was happening here, and Al Catterton acquired um, Dental Corp, um, another Canadian uh, dental roll-up. Um, so we're seeing it for companies that have enough scale. It, it there is a steep learning curve to understanding the Canadian healthcare space, and so buying something of scale that already has gone through the regulatory hurdles in every single province is something that they're more willing to do, whereas coming in to buy a regional company doesn't make sense for them because they don't have the skills to actually go out and understand the regulatory market in every single province to create that. Mm-hmm. Um, but they do see the opportunity here. It's a growing market and there, there will continue to be upward trend in terms of growth. Hmm. And I understand that persistence is Canada's only PE firm that's exclusively focused on Canadian healthcare is focusing on a single sector. Is that rare in in Canada for private equity firms, or is there something unique about the healthcare space that has kind of prevented firms from focusing exclusively? I would say probably both. I think I think one in terms of um, the Canadian marketplace, it's small, mm-hmm. um, and so we have a lot of great private equity funds, large funds, pension funds um, that do obviously want to invest in Canada. Um, but because the marketplace is so small and there's only so many companies of enough scale um, to be attractive investments for the check size that they're writing, um, they tend to be more generalist. While all of them have specific industry expertise and will focus in specific areas, um, there are very few pure sector specific funds. Um, the reason healthcare in particular is difficult is just because there's such a steep learning curve. You need to understand the regulatory environment in every single province. Um, so you really need to kind of double down on your investment in learning and education around it. Um, and you learn a lot by doing things and making mistakes and, and as you go. And so I think that's why you don't see a lot of healthcare specific private equity funds here in Canada yet. Mm-hmm. Um, I think as the the opportunities continue to grow. I think we'll, we'll see more. But where we're spending most of our time investing is in the in the very small cap space. So we're looking at companies, you know, we say one to 10 million of EBITDA, but most of ours are actually sub 5 million when we're doing our initial investment. Hmm. And we're looking to grow those to the plus 10, 15, 20, whatever that number is um, for scale um, to ultimately sell on to some of these US private equities and the strategics. Uh, once a company has enough scale. But because we have the flexibility to invest in some of those regional companies, that's hard for many other people to do. And so I think it's the flexibility of our capital with our healthcare expertise that allows us to be successful, but also stops anybody else really from coming into the space right now, just because there isn't enough deal flow. Mm. And your firm has been focused on healthcare since 2008? Yeah, 2008. The fund was uh, started in 2008. Um, It was originally uh, founded in Montreal. Um, And three years ago, we opened up our Toronto office. Um, So we had 85 million in our in fund one, um, 160 million in fund two, um, and we are actually just kicking off fundraising for our third fund, um, which we're looking about 225 million um, for our third fund. Um, but keeping with our core strategy um, in that one to 10 million of EBITDA range, because we're we're doing well and we have lots of deal flow in that, and so we're excited to be kicking off a new fund. 
And next year, you will be the co-chair of the 2019 Toronto ACG Capital Connection, which is where we're speaking today. Can you talk a little bit about the value of that event and what attendees can expect from the conference? Yeah, look, I, I think the conference has been growing year over year. Um, I've been involved in ACG for many years. Um, I think it's a great place for people in, that are playing in the mid-market space to really have an opportunity to connect with other people. The great thing about ACG that differentiates it in the marketplace from other associations and other events is the cross-border nature of it. Like There are mm-hmm. so many people who come up from the U.S. and just create such a better deal-making environment and exposes everybody to so many different things. I think that's why everybody keeps coming back. I think this year there were over 600 attendees, Hmm. uh, which would make one of the highest attended conferences. Next year will be more. (laughs) You heard it here first. (laughs) But yeah, no, it's it's a great conference and I think everybody um, really enjoys it. It's it's well run. It's kind of an institution now. Absolutely. Yeah, I would agree. Well, Adriana, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of Middle Market Growth Conversations. Subscribe to the podcast in the iTunes store where you can listen to past episodes and hear the next episode in two weeks. While you're there, we'd love if you could rate the show and leave a review to help listeners find out about us. After you've rated the podcast, head over to our website, middlemarketgrowth.org for more stories about successful mid-sized companies and middle market M&A.